Hello and welcome to Breaking Social. I'm Alex. And I'm Joe. And we're the founders of award-winning marketing agency, Campfire. In this episode, we talk to Jody Rainsford. He's a professional copywriter, but is also the author of How to Start a Cult, where he writes about his experience in accidentally becoming the leader of his own cult. Thanks to this happy accident, Jody has an incredibly deep understanding of building extremely devoted communities. And this is definitely one of our favorite episodes of the podcast. In this conversation, Jody tells us how he started a positive cult, the moment he realized it was more than just a group of people with a shared interest, and the strategy he's used to maintain an inclusive yet exclusive brand. Everything you'll hear in this podcast episode is incredibly valuable, so be ready to take notes. Bro, really good to meet you, Jody. Welcome to the uh, Breaking Social podcast. So, Jody, you're the author of How to Start a Cult. And before we go into why you've written the book, would you be able to, as you put it uh, in How to Start a Cult, address the Charles Manson-shaped elephant in the room and define a cult for us? So, yeah, so um, a cult has many characteristics. And the, the whole reason that I even latched onto the fact that, th- that what we had was a possible cult was because I, I, I'm, a, I'm a copywriter by trade. I think of headlines. Cult is always something that grabs people. And so I actually started looking into this. And when I kind of looked into what, what the elements were that, that, that made up a cult, it seemed to align with a lot of things that, that we were doing. Um, so a cult is, um, it, it normally has some kind of charismatic leader. It normally is a group that there is some element of exclusivity about it, that it stands for something. It also, there's an element um, within that group of some uh, following of rules. There are a set of rules normally um, laid down at the top that other people follow. And then there's also an element of people who join that cult then go on to either spread the word or recruit others into it. And so those are kind of the the defining characteristics of, of a cult and how you bring someone, which sounds very much like a community, very much like... Um, a, a lot of things we say, but they, they can have negative and positive characteristics as well. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how you had started, what you what you considered to be a cult and, and what did it surround? So I talk about accidentally starting a cult and, and, and it really was accidental in the sense that I was previously a, a journalist um, for a running magazine. And the way that I'd made myself stand out as a journalist was not being, well, I wasn't very good at running. Um, I wasn't going to be able to win people over with my athletic prowess. I've never been able to do that. But what I could do is I could write stuff that was relatively funny, relatively funny, very sort of story based. I could you know, kind of make a joke. Like the whole joke was I was the Cole Pilkington of the running world. And right. so that's the kind of stuff <laughs> I did. And so this kind of lighthearted, story based, travelogy type stuff fit really well in the, in the magazine running but that magazine then decided to, to to change what they were doing and I'd met this other guy uh, on a marathon um the Sierra Leone marathon which which is a brilliant marathon my experience of it was terrible um but I met this other guy and we kind of had this kind of kindred spirit we like we like talking about running and with the one thing that we thought was actually there's very few people who are talking about anything you know, when you think about you know running podcasts running magazines running anything to do with running it's always about speed it's always about time it's always about distance it's always about all these really narrow sets of, of things around performance we thought there's no one who's just like being sort of casual with it there's no one that's looking at the fun aspects of it and so that really started off on a conversation where we said well let's let's start let's start recording something let's start recording something and see if it lands we think that there is something missing here that other people will enjoy and so there was an opportunity to see whether other people buy into it. And it really was. We sat down one day, literally in our in our lounges, turned on the laptop, turned on the microphone and just recorded and had a chat. And it, it went really well. You know, we obviously we were, we were good friends and we started putting it out. And, you know, you hear these stories about how people, you know, when they build a podcast, or when they build a community, they you know, work out all their branding and the things like that. Well, we were marketers. And so we did this by instinct. We didn't think about this at the time. Like we absolutely didn't think about, oh, what's our branding going to be like? Things like that. We did something as simple as what's out there, what looks different. And we did the thing that looked different. Big, bold, garish, ugly, took three minutes to do, throw it up on iTunes. Let's see what happens. And, it, and that really kind of was it. 
And just through taking that that element of finding a, a, a position in the market somewhere that no one else had done, do we realise that actually there was a there was a demand for it, and we just built up this demand for it, and it turned out that you know we hit on something that runners were frustrated with is the fact that there were lots and lots of people who liked running but they weren't obsessed with it you know running was supposed to be fun running was supposed to be interesting um running was supposed to you know connect people in different ways and so we found this big community and this community is built built it ha- we, we've always been very much of the view that we don't want you to join this group or we don't want you to join this community or we don't want you to listen if you're going to be offended by stuff if you're serious about if you take running seriously this is not for you and we've constantly done that and that's mainly because we didn't want to get lots of negative reviews and we didn't want people abusing us online and things like that and so by doing that qualification out it, this was all accidental we didn't mean to do any of this and it's only when we look back and connect the dots did we then realize that we have something on our hands where it started taking on the qualities of a cult and it really was only when I when I did a, a presentation, um, I, I wrote a presentation that I did to a, a group of people and I wanted this this headline, you know, how to start a cult. And then I subsequently looked back at all the characteristics that I realised we, <laughs> we had something on our hand that was very much like a cult. Um, so it was it was completely accidental in one sense, but not accidental in the sense that we realised that we used our strengths. We did all the things that you would do on a normal branding, but we didn't. We didn't purposefully do it. It's just something that that seemed right. And you know, like any any good ideas that, that gain traction, you hit on something that, that there's a gap for, that there's a need for, and and you run with it, and and you find an audience around it. And there's, there's there was an audience for that. That's interesting that you that you say that. And obviously, starting we'll call it a community for now. Obviously, you've talked there that retrospectively, um, that group started to you can see that there are the clues there that it, what you've actually created there is a cult. But the word cult and seeing the word cult in a headline, there's a reason, like you said before, that it gets people's attention. And it's because naturally, because of whenever the word cult has been used in the news prior to this, it's always about something negative or typically about some some very, very negative thing that has happened. What was the result of your cult? Was it a positive outcome or a negative outcome? It's a positive outcome. I, I think that there are, you know, there is there's different uses of the word cult, and one of the things that I was acutely aware of going into this when you know we're talking about the cult was was differentiating between the two things. You know, we you can all identify the bad, weird, alien sex cults um, and the people that are in charge of them and and what they do. And it normally revolves. It's a, it's a pathological cult. Um, it normally revolves around the leader. It's all about exploitation. It's all about prescribing to people how they do a, a certain thing, and it's closed off. And it's never about them wanting to make contact with the outside world or when they do it's 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 purely to indoctrinate people and so there there are there are certain characteristics that that are very different and i think in terms of the way that i see cult that the the two things that connect it the the thing that is it's a weird thing saying the positive things that you can take out of cults <laughs> is the element of belonging and identity and how so how do you how do you take what is essentially a negative concept pull out the positive concepts and think how do we how do we reverse engineer this and so you know we 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 think that belonging is the important aspect around a cult and understanding that it's about you know the, the reason that cults work is because people just don't feel that they belong anywhere else so what can we do to create belonging for people that don't fit, fit in anywhere else and so that's a positive thing you could do. And that's, that, that, you know, that's, you're running a business. That's a good, you know, business idea to do. But you put it in the, in the, in the constraints of a cult and it, and it sounds a little bit different. And then, you know, once people are, are kind of within the group, what is the kind of behaviors that you want to, to encourage? Very much with, with a bad cult, it's the relationship is directly with the leader and the leader prescribes it. The kind of the difference, I think, in terms of cults that, or communities that work very well is that the interconnectedness is really important between the people within the cult as well. And I think the thing that really helps the the community take off very, very quickly is that people were, were making connections with each other, that we were the almost uh, the pillar um, that brought people together, but really we encouraged them you know, to, to, to kind of you know, connect with each other, to do things with each other. The other thing is that you know, there is a very, very definite way of prescribing behavior that you will find in these these sort of pathological cults but we never did anything like that what we would do is we would say like these are the parameters around it and you can go and use your creativity you can go and do things that that you want to do that show your belonging and the one thing that we had that that so we we sell merchandise and that was 
Um, that was something that I had right from the right from the start. Never thinking that people would buy the merchandise, thinking that it would just be stuff for us to wear to to kind of look different, and a few people might buy it. Didn't realise there was a huge demand for that. All of a sudden, I've become a retailer. Didn't expect that at all. I'm terrible at it, but it shows you that people want to feel that belonging. But then we had this whole fake merch thing. So people were going off and creating fake merchandise, really badly done, really dodgy fake merchandise for their dogs, for their kids, um, for, for their vans, all these different things, which if you were in like a pathological cult, they wouldn't allow you to do that. So there's a springing of creativity by giving people parameters within which to work and encouraging that and encouraging you to do that. You just wouldn't find that in a... in in a normal kind of community. And it's the same thing with it's the same thing with brands. When brands try to do that, when brands try to constrain people, it, it flourishes. Now that we have that kind of I like to think of it as something like the way that Disney, all of a sudden Disney was very, very prescriptive about how you use the Disney name, how you use the Disney characters. And then when you know YouTube came along and social media came along and that it opened up the ability for like fan-made projects, fan-made films and things like that. And people realise that actually that extends a brand really, really well because it shows that it allows people to connect with it in a completely different way. So it's moving away from that prescriptive element. It's moving away to making sure there's an interconnectedness and making sure that you're there, you're empowering people to do. The, the, the big thing about the cult that we have is that we set the bar really, really low. We, we do the total up. We don't celebrate achievement. If you don't run, you're the hero. And when you set the bar so low, when you set the lack of achievement so low, it just removes all of the pressure and it allows people then to kind of sit back and just enjoy being within the moment. I don't, there's nothing expected of me here. And that is, that is, that is hugely different from a sort of a negative cult, a cult that, that requires you to constantly do things. And so, you know, and, and there's lots, yeah, there's lots, there's lots of other aspects to it, but fundamentally those things, empowering, interconnectedness, um, and, and, a, and a flourishing of creativity within that. So inherently, then, there isn't anything negative about cults. It's more so to do with what the requirements of being part of that cult are and what the outcomes of, of, of the sort of beliefs and shared interests of, of the people in the cult would be. Yeah, absolutely. There is a, a cult's weird thing. It's like you, you, can be, you have to be inclusive but exclusive at the same time. You can be inclusive as to the, you know, the, the, the people there. You accept anyone. You accept anyone regardless of their background or anything. But the element that makes it exclusive is those is those shared values. And if you don't share those values, you can't come in. And we see that all the time with company culture, um, you know, when you're trying to grow a community. If people don't share those values, then you have nothing that you can rally around. And why it's why things like um having common enemies is is important as well, because these are things to rally around. This is why, you know, having common values is important because you have these things to rally around. And so what's really important to the people in that group is that they they know that not only do they all share the same values and the same attitudes and the same beliefs, but that you will also outwardly promote those and you will also kick out people and stand up to people that don't believe in those things as well. And so there's kind of a few aspects going on there. But there are but the thing is the thing about the word cult is really interesting. So like cult is a negative is a negative aspect. But when we talk about cult movies or cult films or, or things like that, you know, we're talking about things that smaller groups of people feel deeply, deeply passionate about. And it's that that depth of passion and that depth of uh, of belonging for it is is really what what you want to capture when you're trying to build a community like this. So uh, you know, you mentioned a couple of things there about, I guess, what goes into making a strong cult. What would, what are the things that are like? What is the difference between, for example, a community and a cult? What, what is the tipping point that takes it from a community to a cult? Essentially, what are the requirements for becoming a cult versus simply being a community? Uh, I think with a with a cult, there is a certain depth and strength of feeling around it that shifts that tipping point, as you say. So you are actively trying to constantly test people's devotion as it were to the cult by asking them to do things which which are again it sounds incredibly manipulative when you say it out loud but it's constantly allowing them to show that they're belonging and they want to constantly show their belonging whatever it is that you that, that you're trying to do so so we've got we've got seven cult commandments um and the the last cult commandment is you know give followers plentiful opportunities to demonstrate belonging in a community you wouldn't really do that you wouldn't really go you know in order to be part of this community you've got to go and do a bunch of press ups randomly or in order to go and do this you've got to go and do this kind of you know this, this this bunch of random things that don't make any sense but we're asking you to do it because you don't necessarily always need to do it 
Where a cult becomes really important is when you get those opportunities where they demonstrate belonging and people on the outside see it. And so it's about identifying other cult members on the outside. So there's two aspects to it. There's, there's you know, how the cult works internally and people within the community. And this is really important for, you know, especially for running. When the cult members go out or the community members go out into the wider world, how do they demonstrate their belonging so that the wider world sees them? because it's important to them, but also how do they connect with other people within that community? And so there's a, there's a much greater strength and depth of feeling that people have um, when you allow them uh, to do things and to, whether that's you know showing it through the merchandise they're wearing, whether they're doing it, you know, we have this, <laughs> we have this situation now where one of the things that we, again, this, when we were doing this, this, we never thought, oh, yeah, let's find some really manipulative things to, to get our audience to do in order to prove this. We just did this because we thought it was funny. Um, you know, David, uh, my co-host on the podcast with the community, he was on Special Forces Hell Week once and he was rubbish. He was absolutely rubbish. He's got no upper body strength. He tried to do, he got kicked off because he couldn't do some press ups. So in order to mock him, I said that every time someone finishes a race, they've got to do press ups at the finish. <laughs> so that every, every time they see this, we've got this constant reminder of how rubbish David is. And so everyone does it now. Everyone does it. And there are some races that you will enter and if people know that you are a member of the community, they will not stop that watch until you have done those presses. <laughs> so this is it's where it's where like the ethos goes beyond that, where other people are starting to enforce the rules for you. And it's enforcing the rules for you, I think, is, mm. it, is another one of those aspects where you don't realise how uh, where the tentacles of this go and how far it reaches. Um, until you then start seeing this kind of feedback from from people doing this. We had someone that ran ran the you know Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc, which is what 100 and, 140 miles around the base of Mont Blanc, which is the, a, a hideous, grueling race. Who comes to the end of it and drops for ten press ups? I mean, it's just like <laughs> they went through that race and thought at the end, I have to do these press ups at the end. Like how what what brands would give to have that kind of space in someone's that's brain? So but that's the thing; it 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 becomes part of their of their behaviour. It's it's crazy, and it's it's something that just has amazed me as we've con- gone further further down this route. And we've heard a saying that goes something like "brands are the new religion." I wanted you to to go into what you feel it is about brands today that can make them so compelling or not compelling. What is it that makes someone either wholeheartedly Nike or wholeheartedly Adidas, for example, and they would never switch and it feels like a offence to change their shoes or Supreme, for example. What is about what is it about uh, these brands that are so compelling to people that they will worship them almost as if they were a religion? I, I think there's a I think there's a few things. So I think one of the the, the thing that we can't you know get away from is the fact that they they have to have some element of benefit in the first place. There has to be something that that people find about them that, that's good in the first place. And I think that's what that's what sometimes people people forget that there has to be some compelling element that draws someone to a brand in the first place. Whether that's the quality of something, whether that's the reputation of something. So there will be always someone that drives it. But where building, you know, connecting someone with a benefit to to, to purchase something is is only one step. You know, there is a a kind of concept that I like to think about getting hooks into something where, where you, the more hooks that you can get into a buyer a user a member of a community a follower the stronger the connection will be and one of those hooks is is the you know the benefit of your product the re- way that you get other hooks into them is you know by kept connecting them to a community and building a community around it but you know things like um uh, connection and shared values and you know them having great empathy and understanding of what what it is you're about and so you know Things like when brands come out and one of the, the, the commandments to talk about is uh, picking an enemy. And when brands come out and they are authentic and genuine about campaigning for a cause um, and you know not completely transparent virtue signaling that, that so many try, but when they genuinely come out and they actually put real effort and thought behind it and they really understand what matters to their audience, they really understand what it is that uh, the values that need to to be connected with it, and people see those brands doing that. 
that is incredibly powerful. That is incredibly powerful in connecting people um, with that, more so than you know necessarily seeing celebrities associated or influence associated. It. Celebrities, influencers, Ben, that hooks someone into a brand initially, but it's not enough to keep someone there. And so brands that are able to, to take a stand, like brands, are, I mean, if we're completely honest, Brands are utterly pathetic generally when it comes to like being bold. Like one of the one of the things in order to to kind of to really make yourself stand out is is to be polarizing. And polarizing doesn't necessarily mean being controversial or being aggressive or anything else like that. And I think there's a bit of confusion about what polarizing means because they normally associate it with people who are a bit sweary and you know kind of sort of throw their weight around. But polarizing means that you just it, there's an in out question to ask. It's like if you subscribe to our brand and our brand values, then you believe this. Or you don't believe this and you've kind of got to make a choice. And so when you wear something you and you see other people wearing that, you know that they believe the same things as you. They believe the same thing. You know, they have the same values as you. And that's incredibly powerful where everyone can feel a certain amount of loneliness in the world. And you see other people who have a brand and it's part of their identity and the wearing of that brand or the talking about that brand or how they use that brand within their within their daily lives is almost a uniform um, to show other people that they have they have those shared values. And that's that's really, really important. That's really important for brands to understand and really important when they know how to really understand what their what their audience uh, what matters to their audience and i think that's it the, 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 again it's all about depth it's the depth of understanding what matters to their audience and just from a sort of more selfish perspective obviously we're a social media and marketing agency a digital media agency how would you apply these learnings to the communications that you have access to through social media platforms or digital platforms so uh, let, actually let me take a step back the reason i think our community did so well is that we weren't thinking about monetizing it. We had nothing to sell. We had nothing to sell. We had nothing to monetize. All we had was two people that had kind of a, a specific subject that they wanted to talk about, a really good relationship, and just some real persistence, you know, in terms of showing up on a weekly basis and making sure that we're delivering something to that audience. And I think this is real brand building stuff. And I think there's too many businesses and, you know, you work with you work with clients. Clients are very product focused, very service focused, want to know, you know, how they're going to get their return. And so they're very, very keen on seeing, like, how can we get product into this? How can we how, how can we you know, do this? But really, it's that is that brand building aspect that really matters. And it's talking it's taking what the brand stands for. It's talking about what the uh, understanding the audience. So the thing is that, that that was worked really, really well and what I think has been really valuable um, within the community is that we've we've kind of got folklore around people like we we've talked about you know all we were doing we were talking about our friends um and people that we knew um and now we don't know most people in the in the community because it's too big so it's it, it it kind of has changed in that that respect but you know we we talked about like things that people have done that, that would never get talked about in you know on a typical running podcast or a typical running community because we thought they were funny. And so you get these little celebs coming up, these little this folklore, these stories that other people then share with each other. So we had um, the person that's responsible for for our uh, kind of social media output is Anya. Now Anya, she absolutely absolutely fabulous. Um, she ran the Marathon de Saab, which, um, you know, if you don't know the Marathon de Saab, it's 150 miles across the Sahara. Uh, you've got to carry all your equipment with you. It's over five days, um, known as the toughest foot race on earth. Ridiculous heat. You know, I think she did that and found out she had TB while she was doing it, which is kind of insane. She had TB while running it. And so this has become the most incredible story. And so we, every time someone comes on the podcast who's done the MDS and stuff like that, we always like finish it with, that's very impressive, but you didn't do it with TB. And so one thing that, you know, that, that, that we do very well is we, and, and I think was, a, was really, really helpful for engagement early on, was it was very clear how you could contribute. And this is a thing I think people struggle with Facebook groups and community sites. How can someone immediately contribute? And by talking about, you know, you know, we know that we we have villains and our villains are cyclists. Those are our enemies. Not because we don't like cyclists, because cycling is cheating. That's what we think. You know, it's cheating. You're you're not, it's not as hard as running. And so very early on, we made it clear about that these are the things that we think are worthy of, of discussion. And so when we started our Facebook group, like normally if anyone's ever started a Facebook group, it takes 
weeks and months of you know posting to try and get people engaged to stop the people lurking and things like that like within three weeks of our of our community starting people were po- knew what to post because they knew what their values are they knew what other people within the community would find funny they knew what they were interested in and so another thing is that we had a huge amount of triathletes who who are, are slightly worse on the scale than um, than cyclists um but we had um yeah triathletes in there and so all of the triathletes are well known. So we have like a re- rehabilitation program that we take them through where we try and move all the triathletes to become ultra runners instead. And so we create all these little bits of folklore. We take all these people and they become little celebs. Um, and, and we do that within that. And I think that's what brands need to do. Brands need to, you know, rather than going, oh, here, you know, here's Patricia from uh, London who's you know, wearing our, our outfit and stuff like that. How good are you at storytelling? How good are you at building folklore and building those mini stories that our community go out and they tell those to other people. I've heard people telling other people's stories that, that we've told and we, we've come up with. And that's that's where you get that real connection. That's where it really brings a brand to life in a different way. But you, you just cannot focus on how you are going to monetize um, particularly on on social, you know, of course you have mechanisms. Of course you you may take it off social onto email and develop the relationship further in that way. You may you know, there may be different mechanisms for doing that. But I think in terms of where where brands really need to work is that they need to take that level back and think what do the audience want? What do the audience need? What will what will make an audience laugh? What will really entertain them? What will do those things? So, but you know you are always competing against uh, clients on what clients want. And so, yeah, that would be the the kind of advice that I'd give that it's really taking a step back and thinking about audience needs. And if a brand was to have that as an aim, to create a cult audience, be it just a subsection, out of the things it requires to create a cult, would you say that some are more important than others? Do you need all of them? Or if not, which ones are the most important? You do need all of them. So, I mean, if I if I quickly run through run through what they are, so it's developing a polarizing cult message, picking an enemy, um, being different and celebrating it, targeting outliers and misfits, building belonging, and then giving up followers plentiful opportunities to show that belonging. So, the whole thing starts at, really at the start, like that polarizing cult message. What what it is, and giving that person that that in out choice. That's where it starts. I think you know. If you get if you don't get that bit right, everything else falls down. Everyone wants to skip to the selling t-shirts bit. Everyone wants to skip to the you know let's get them to do funny stuff. Let's give our let's give our followers a funny name. You know all that kind of stuff. And, you know those are the kind of the tactics. The tactics that only come about when you've done the hard work of you know what is you know, what does what does this subsection stand for? Like what puts you in this group? What do we stand for? Um, what don't we stand for? Who don't we want in this group? Who are we against? And the other thing is, you know, we, it, it's all about looking different, being different, actually acting different. Too many, too many people try to do this without, you know, genuinely acting different. And again, it's, it's that whole congruence that you expect from from someone. Like if people meet us, they know that, you know, we are as chaotic as the entire community. It's, a, you know, we have a consistent brand voice because that's just what we are. We don't have to try hard at it. And, and that comes through very, very easily, I think, very, very quickly. And it's, it's difficult to do by committee, definitely. And it's difficult to do. But, you know, th- th- that's obviously a challenge. But definitely making sure that the, the, the message is, is, the, is the basis upon which everything um, hangs. Um, the, the being different part is really important as well. Not just being different, but actually celebrating, actually owning that difference and talking about it. You know, we um, as a community, we get two types of reviews. We either have five star reviews and people absolutely love us or tell us that they don't like us, but they can't stop listening, um, which is great. Um, and then one star reviews where people absolutely hate us, just you know, absolutely hate us. And by owning that and celebrating that and when when that happens when we get one star reviews um we put that on posters we put that on our banners those are the things that go out and those are the things that get displayed to the wider the wider audience because we're just qualifying people out we just you know we're like this community is hated you know but then people just just want to be part of it they're just curious and and everything else that goes with it and so you know and we wear on t-shirts and and do that and and i would like to point out we did this before brewdog ever decided to uh, uh, ever started doing it as well but yeah but it's but it's about only like it's it's not about like trying to hide this difference like oh we are different but we don't you know you'll find that when you get out we are you know it's about being noticeably different and i think that's a real challenge for for brands it's like how do you come as 
come across as different and different enough and, and, and own it as well and allow your followers to own it. Because that is one of those things that sounds easy, but you know, it requires a real mindset shift. It requires a real mindset shift from anyone. We, I, I speak to you know, um, membership organisations quite a lot about this and they're very keen on, 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 on building a cult. But the problem is with a membership organisation is that all they want is they want to bring as many people in as possible because they're all about, you know, the more people in, the more revenue. Um, you know, when people try to leave, we'll try and stop them from leaving. And you're like, that's it's complete wrong way around. I asked the question to them, like, when was the last time you said someone couldn't join your organisation? And they're like, um, whew, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I've, don't think we've ever said no. You're like, well, there we go. That's the difference. The difference is that you, you know, you have to force people in an in and out situation. And once you've got that mindset, once you've got that 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 nailed, um, and that's through the you know, the cult message being different and and making sure that you have a clear idea of who who should be part of the community and who wouldn't fit into the community, then that allows you to do all the all the fun stuff, as it were, and all the stuff that that really sort of drives that belonging. Because people don't want to feel like they're part of a community if other people within that you know they that don't align with their values um I, I split those i split the cult commandments into two sections there's a there's a strategy part at the start of the tactics part and the strategy always always has to be done in that order and um always before any of the tactics you mentioned there that one of the things that you would do was take those one star reviews and almost broadcast them as a almost a reminder of like these are the things that we aren't and what essentially against in some ways would you say there's a an art form in framing that so it doesn't come across in almost like an attacking or weird way to to your cult audience um is there is there an art in communicating um those types of messages for qualifying and disqualifying certain people to be part of the of the cult audience the the thing is we're really self-deprecating so we constantly constantly I, th- I think people just take themselves too seriously that's the thing you know that people are h- here to to have fun and people want to be entertained and if you try living up to a certain standard you're always going to going to fall short which is the total opposite of what everyone says about <laughs> when it comes to brands when it comes to anything but it's true and so when when you get you know comments like that and you get you get things like that the only thing you can do is you can kind of go well they've got a point haven't they you know, it's like, you know, and we'll make some comment around like, you know, the, why our fans love us or, or say you love us. Or, you know, because like if we started telling people just how great we were, like how many like five star reviews we've got, everything. We made this big, big joke about the fact that we'd never win an award. And then we won the like best podcast award at the running awards. And it, it shattered, shattered our illusions and shattered that, you know, we're like, this is not this is not good for the brand because we're mediocrity. And low standards are the things that, that we uphold. Like when people say it's like beavers and butthead do running, we're like, it is. And if you don't like that, you're going to, you know, two people laughing at their own jokes. If you don't like that, you're going to absolutely hate this podcast. I mean, you're gonna, there, there is n- literally no point in you in you joining and listening to it and being part of the community. If you think, you know, if you... You know, we moved from uh, doing audio to now posting stuff on YouTube. And we'd say things like, if you thought our audio was bad, wait till you see our video. Because, you know, our, our level of our level of profession, it's really funny. Like when whenever people do stuff like this, they always try, you know, some people always try and monetize it. Like, you know, someone does a podcast for, for three weeks and all of a sudden they're you know, bringing out a course on how to do a podcast. I still don't feel that we are professional enough to offer any advice about how to run podcasts or anything else like that. We know how to like grow a community, but we certainly don't know to. So we're just incredibly self-deprecating. Like there, there is just no pressure in, in anything we do. And, and the more that we do it, it's, it seems to, it's more of a magnet because it, it lets people feel, it makes people feel at ease. And of course, the complexion of any community is going to be a reflection of who the people are that are leading it. But just being yourselves, I mean, th- there are so many contradictions with what we do. David and I pretty much haven't run for for like eighteen months. We haven't done any running for eighteen months, and we we have a, a podcast about running. Like just no, you know, it's a long running joke. It's it's hilarious, uh, you know. But like no one cares. Like no, it's just about understanding why do people follow you? Do people follow you because they want running advice from you? So it's certainly not. Why do people follow you? Because they feel part of a conversation. They feel part of a conversation. They feel part of the community. They feel connected to it. It's like it's just it's just about understanding what motivates someone to want to be part of the community, and they. They just love calling themselves um, a cult. Like not a, hashtag not a cult is, is one of the hashtags that is constantly used on social, constantly used throughout on, on social, on in the community. 
and everything else. And people just are very, very open about how much how much they want to follow it. I one of the so again, just some weird stuff happens as a result of this. One of our strongest like um, members, as it were, she's a, a fashion designer, and um, the long running joke has always been around. I've got a girl's name. Um, I'm constantly um, referred to as Miss on post and, and things like that. And so everyone has a good old joke. My name's constantly spelled incorrectly. But she <laughs> she designed and launched a dress um, called the Jodie dress on, on the basis of that, you know, she loves the podcast so much. This is her way of showing uh, her devotion to it, which is utterly bizarre, utterly bizarre in every single way. But it just makes such a good story that you get feedback and it comes this feedback loop that constantly engages and constantly gets people trying to show how much they appreciate and how much they love being part of the community. Did you use any of these, I suppose, marketing strategies or community building strategies when you've been marketing your new book, How to Start a Cult? So this was, <laughs> this was, uh, so the paperback of the book has been delayed slightly because we needed to add something, we needed to add something else to it. So when, uh, when I launched the, the book, constantly trying to find new and un- unusual ways. So when it comes to marketing, you always know that you can use the marketing of something as a story going forward. And so I thought, wouldn't it be really good, much to the utter horror of the publishers, uh, wouldn't it be good if we were Christmas number one? <laughs> like the idea of being Christmas number one. And I was just, and I had, I just had in my mind that the, the community would absolutely love it. And so I said, you know, what do I need to do in order to make sure that that book is number one at Christmas? And so you need to make sure you have a certain number of sales on Christmas Eve by a certain time so that when it flips over to midnight, do it. And then you need to pick some meaningful categories you know, putting the book in carp fishing where you need to sell four copies, you know, like everyone kind of sees through that. And then I thought, can I actually do this just by using the people in the in the community, in the cult? Can I launch, can I actually launch a book and make it a bestseller just through the connections that, that we have in there rather than going out? Because if I did that, it would prove that this works and it would prove just how powerful this technique is. And so that's what that's what we did basically set up, did a call out for volunteers. Um, 300 people within the group said that they'd volunteered to, to, to purchase the book at the times that I asked them to, um, split them into smaller groups um, that all had different names. So they were kind of, it was like subgroups within groups, um, all different names, which didn't mean anything, but they th- thought it meant something as well. And so then we had little groups competing against each other as well. I mean, none of this really, you know, none of this actually was, was was much of a strategy and everything. It was more around getting them to do stuff and asking them to do stuff because it felt as though it was meaningful. So calling out their names, making sure that I got all their names, you know, thanking them personally when they did stuff. And then I, you know, I get the different groups to, to say, you know, can you buy the book now? Can you buy the book now? Can you leave reviews now? Can you do this thing at, at different times? And so on the day, managed to get it to number one in, in three different categories in Amazon and on the crack in the top 10 list on on Amazon on the uh, by Christmas day as well um, just through just through doing it through the group which was incredible and so it makes it a really good story to then go forward and tell other people so the book has never been marketed to anyone more than the, the cult audience and so people always ask um you know how you know, what's your strategy for launching a book what is your strategy for launching a book what is your and I say it's the same strategy for launching anything um it's a two part strategy and it's one build a cult to launch whatever it is you want to launch. Because that's always the thing. People always think, oh, I just, how I launch is a particular strategy. It's like, build the audience first. Build the audience first and you'll be able to launch a book. Whatever it is you want. Oh, launch a new you know, fashion range. Build the audience. Launch the fashion range. I want to set, do an event. Build the audience. Launch the event. Like, it shows you that, you know, doing that proves it. And, you know, we have David, my co-host on it. He has a, his product as well, um, which is um, a product called Caffeine Bullet. And again, Used up, used the, the the community uh, not just for testing, but also for um, you know doing part of a kickstart scheme as well, making sure that people were bought into it. You know, people were really really enthusiastic about it, and they went out and were able to be evangelical about the product to a wider audience. And so he's used that very very successfully. But again, you know, that group wasn't set up to do those things. Those things came out as an opportunity afterwards. So it just goes to show that, you know, actually, you know, building the cult has really genuinely formed a good basis for for, for launching anything that, that we've done afterwards. I was um I was actually about to ask you just about what you did there with getting the Christmas number one with your with your book by just marketing to the cult. I think that's brilliant. But I was gonna I was actually gonna ask you how would a brand do that? But as I was thinking about that question, 
I actually wanted to ask, do you think a brand can do that? Because the relationship that you had with that cult audience, you directly, is going to, there's going to be a different relationship there between you and that audience and a brand in that audience. So before we even ask how would a brand do that, I wanted to ask you, do you think a brand could could achieve a similar result or a similar relationship? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So if you think about, you know, you think about there's some big brands out there that um, very, very cleverly create, again, I'm going to use the language of terrorism here, which isn't great, um, but cells, essentially. Uh, they create like cells of and, and you know smaller cults uh, around it. And you, you think of people like Parkrun, think of people like CrossFit. You know, these are organisations which bear very, very you know, similar traits to, to cults, you know, um, so think something like Parkrun. Parkrun's a you know a huge organisation, huge global organisation, but they have lots of little churches. Um, you know that every single Saturday everyone turns up to worship at the altar of Parkrun. They all wear their uniform. They all hold up their hands, you know, showing how much devotion they got. Because I've done ten Parkruns, I've done fifty Parkruns. I've got the shirt to prove that I can do it. The sort of strength of belonging that those those people do, and it's because it's being able to do the work to strengthen the relationship with those uh, lieutenants, as it were, to kind of keep it, who will go out and sell your cult for you and sell your, your opportunity for you. And so I think if someone like, you know, I mean, like someone like Parkrun, they, they were able to mobilise um, a huge number of people when there was a threat that the pandemic was going to result in the cancellation um, because of safety reasons for a huge number of, of races. Um, and they were able to, you know, harness the power of, getting the the race directors in all those different locations to motivate um, all the different like Facebook groups and Facebook communities they had around that in order to do that. So I think it's about it's about understanding how do you delegate and, and how do you recruit those people within your organization who their strength of feeling is so strong that they can go out and create these smaller groups and run those communities. I mean like something like CrossFit. CrossFit is, you know, people are evangelical about crossfit crossfit is such a strong follower if you've ever met across someone that's just started doing crossfit oh my god you can't they just tell you about the diet they tell you about how it's changed their life you know everything else like that the, the strength of feeling if you can get a strength of feeling like that into into smaller communities um you can you can easily achieve that because it's again you're mobilized and the thing is it's not just a case of this is an opportunity you have to do this. You have to regularly mobilise that group because they have to feel like they're doing stuff. They have to feel like they're part of stuff. I have never been part of a, a marketing campaign before when the people who were buying the things in the marketing campaign were telling me how much they loved the you know the five days running up to Christmas, which is a pretty busy time. The five days running up Christmas because... They were in little groups together. They were connecting with each other. They were having fun. They were mocking me as much as they possibly could and joking. And they were making jokes about how they're never going to read the book. And a third of the people that bought the book don't even own a Kindle, which which is the weirdest <laughs> thing. But, you know, like, but I mean, that's that's you know, that's really sort of doing stuff against you know. There was people who who were interrupting their Christmas Eves in order to in order to do this sort of stuff, which is which is I think where the publisher had a bit of, bit of an issue with it, but. If you have that strength of feeling within uh, and you create um, communities and you have those community heads, as it were, or those people that can go out and spread the message for you and you will be able to identify those people. It's about it's just about being connected to it. Like we have people running merch. We have people producing the podcast. We have people producing the video for the podcast. We have as a result of this, we host the Ultra, Ultra Zone um, at the National Running Show every year, twice a year. And, you know, we get a huge number. They, you know, they, they, they give us that as an opportunity because they know that we bring something different to that. These are all things that come out and people come and, you know, we, we take them um, uh, like 20 volunteers to do that. All these people are doing this for nothing, like are doing this for absolutely nothing. They're doing it because they believe in the, uh, the, the community has given them so much and being part of that has given so much and being seen as part of that has given so much. And so if a brand can create the same thing, by understanding, by by finding lieutenants like that, they can absolutely use that um, as a way of doing a launch like that, or or motivating like that, or mobilising the troops, as it were, for for whatever purpose it it was, as long as it aligns with the values of those of those followers. And what do you find are the are the best and most effective strategies of? spreading that message to to get new community members you've talked a little bit about having these organic messages that will almost organic or virally spread themselves but how do you 
engineer those kinds of communication strategies? I mean, all of this, all of this starts right at the start. All of this starts with that in-out choice, that polarisation. Because if, if someone's really clear about why they're joining the community, it's really easy for them to go and say to someone else why, they, why they're joining the community. Um, and so that's really, really important. The other aspect of that is, you know, I've just talked about CrossFitters there. But, you know, new followers, people that join it for the first time and discover it for the first time, who are enthusiastic about it, are, recent converts are the best at uh, bringing in new converts. They're normally the most evangelical. Um, they're at the point of they've discovered something that's different and they want to talk about it with people. They've got people in the community who want to talk about it, but they also obviously also want to go out and talk about it. And yeah, cross, CrossFitters become evangelical and they, you know, they're telling people that don't care about these things. But there's another aspect of it. And it, so we've got, we've got that aspect of making sure that the message is right. We've got that aspect of understanding that new converts are very good at going out and converting, but that on its own isn't enough. The other aspect is it's around kind of targeting that it's an understanding that, um, and this is particularly true of the running community, and this would be running true of lots of different communities. There's going to be a group of people who we would call homeless. Um, and then when we talk about targeting misfits, um, it sounds, I mean, it sounds a bit rude. That, you know, we're talking to people, there's something wrong with them. But these people literally are misfits. There is nothing out there for them that they fit into, that not because of who they are, it's because no, no one has provided something for them. No one's provided a home for them. No one's provided a home to understand what it is. And so there will always be a section of people who, uh, and it's gonna be a section of people in any market and, and wherever you are, who it, who aren't being served and who, who haven't found a community. And so, you know, there is there are pockets all over the place where, where you can find these people. And so, we tend to, so just using the, the example of, of, of running, you know, when people join our group very, very quickly, we go, again, we, again, we use the language of cult more than we, we like to, we go through an indoctrination process. So they are, you know, uh, they're welcomed in. It's just, again, it's doing like little things that are very, very simple to do, but people don't do it because it's, it's too much work or they're trying to automate it or they're trying to say, what's the easiest way of doing it? And I think, you know, one of the one of the quotes that one of my favorite quotes of all time was uh, is from Paul Graham at Y Combinator, who says, um, do things that don't scale. And I think that's really important, like with, with so much technology um, and so much opportunity to automate things and make things simple, doing things which which make that difference really, really stand out, particularly online. So making sure that when people first join the group, they are properly indoctrinated in, they get fully under. We have got a um, an A to Z of bad boy running, um, which basically goes through. So if you ever listen to the podcast, you know, it's it's almost indecipherable. We're using so many like in words, in jokes, things that won't make sense to anyone. Um, you kind of have to decipher it. So we created an A to Z of, of bad boy running which actually ended up being about 10 hours long, which is just horrific. So we push people to listen to that first. And if someone can get through 10 minutes of listening to that, 10 hours of listening to that, then you know they are, they, they've invested then, they've invested 10 hours of their time. That's kind of, they don't think of that as a, as a sunk cost. They feel like I, I've got to push on with this now. And so if they get through that, and there's a lot of people that leave very, very quickly, if people aren't right, you've got to get them out of that community as quickly as possible. Otherwise it causes issues. So we do a really, really good job of making sure that when people come in, they feel welcomed, they feel connected, other people welcome them, they get a really good idea of what the, what the community is. But all those people are also going to be part of other communities. And so very, very quickly, it's easy to get, it's just, it's like referrals. It's just like a referral process. When people, you know, people see, you know, come and have a look at these. So they will connect to other people within the communities they're in and they'll bring those in. And doing stuff which people love to share is is really important in terms of the visibility so you know you're talking their kind of viral content none of none of our stuff really goes viral but it goes it kind of it's like a kind of a mini viral thing in the sense that it attracts people that we um we wouldn't otherwise attract so um one thing that we do uh, for example with the merch and this is a good a good example of doing things that don't scale is that our merch is rubbish okay so our merch is like it is literally bare minimum you know, you want these things. We're, you know, we will actively say to people, right, we are not Amazon. You can buy this merch, but it's going to take you, it's going to take three months to get there because this is not our, these are, this isn't our, you know, full-time job. So it's going to take three months to get there, but you've got to pay up front. And if there's any, any kind of complaining about it, you'll get immediately refunded and you can wait till the next time we're going to order merch and stuff like that. Because we just, again, all born out of necessity, but it just, it makes people connect in this way. So they get the merch and then um, Lorna, who does our, um, she's a brilliant runner as well, um, who, who does all of our merchandise, she'll send them a handwritten note. And the handwritten note will say something, you're an idiot for buying this because it's utter rubbish. 
And people love that. They love the fact that there's a handwritten note. They love the fact that they've been told it. They will post this stuff online. They will post it in their, you know, on their Facebook page. They'll post it in their running groups. And it gets attention. It gets attention from people who are like, that is awful. And it gets attention from people who are like, oh, that, I'm curious about that. You know, you know, what is this? Because it's not like any other community. And so it's doing those things that we know will kind of go out there and do, which is it's just good practice. That's the thing. It's just a good practice thing to do that naturally will get shared because people feel really connected to it. And so a lot of it isn't really about, you know, what is our, what is the strategy for getting it out there? It's about doing the right things internally and doing the right things for, for new people coming into the community that makes it easier for them to go out, refer, go out and get people. We've never ever gone out and invited people into the community. Everything's always come through someone else trying to bring someone in because, you know, and that's why the community is, you know, it's about 4,500 on Facebook, much, much larger outside of outside of that. Um, but it's it's really close knit. And that's and that's the, the, the real value in that because it's just making sure that it's the right people and you've given them everything that they need to go out and recruit other people. They know they know what to say about joining the cult, what it means and what people get from it. I unfortunately, because I, I would actually, <laughs> I'd love to talk about this more and more, um, but I actually for now only have one more question for you, Jody, <laughs> uh, if that's okay with you. So um, this final question is actually more personal to you, but that final question is, uh, what one quality do you see within yourself that you feel without you wouldn't succeed? I... I constantly, I constantly like to, to make connections and I constantly bring things back to standing in, in the shoes of other people. So originally as I was a journalist, I became a copywriter um, and now of course I'm, I'm a marketer, but being able to, to make connections and really stand in the shoes of the audience and who the person that possibly listening to you or, or watching you or hearing you or you know the one that person that you're trying to commute to being able to do that and having the empathy to do that and I know it's a really you know like oh empathy is my thing but it really it really is a superpower it's a superpower because you can just understand how people are going to interact with things what people's behaviors are how people are going to speak about this and so on that level it's it's become quite um instinctive in the sense that because I'm so connected with with the audiences that we have, and you know, however I do it through either like my my natural qualities or whether it's because it's become a learnt quality because I've had to do it for so long, but being able to have that sort of instinctive thing of like they will like this if we do this they will find it funny if they do this they're going to love it we can't do this because they won't like it you know and having that I think is is really powerful and I think if more if more people were able to tap into that I think there would be brands, communities, people would generally find it much easier to connect to people and not have that disconnect um, when it comes to communicating, you know, why someone should do something or why someone should act in a certain way or or being able to help them. And so I think that, that that's probably probably the thing that has helped me most in my career and in creating what I've created and going down the path that I've created. What an excellent answer and a great way to... Uh to end the podcast Jody, thank you for for joining us no thank you very much it's good to uh, thank you for your questions as well thanks so much for listening to Breaking Social make sure you subscribe to us so you're notified when an episode drops and if you want to keep up with what we're doing at Campfire make sure to follow us on the socials in the show notes we'll be back next Tuesday with another episode